Welcome to the Wealth Easy Podcast, your destination for insights on wealth, health, and real estate. I'm your host, John Durbano. I went from former financial advisor for a big bank to now educating people on how to plug your financial leaks and create your rich life without using the stock market. Before we dive in, please hit that subscribe button and share it with others. By subscribing, you're helping the show grow using the algorithm and allows us to get even more successful guests on the show. Now let's begin creating your rich life. Welcome back to the Wealth Easy Show where we talk all things wealth, health, and real estate. Today we are going to discuss real estate law. And today I have Alessandra Ocampo. She is a lawyer and owns Advantage Law. So welcome, Alessandra, to the Wealth Easy Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Great. Listen, I get a lot of people asking me about real estate law. A lot of questions come up. People asking me, how do I avoid capital gains? Should I put my my, my home into a trust? Um, a lot of things are coming up, especially about the foreign tax rule, mm -hmm. the uh, vacancy rule, the whole tax credit. So we're going to get into all that stuff because I thought it'd be a really good time to discuss it with uh, a lawyer instead of me just getting them the opinion of myself, who I've been in the business 25 years. But it's nice to hear from a lawyer just adds a little bit more expertise. So I heard you got started in law from watching uh, Law & Order <laughs> With your mom as a child. Is that true? Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing, but yes, it's true. <laughs> um, so I was always a really big fan of Jack McCoy. I liked how articulate he was, how well-spoken, intellectual, how he managed people, how he was able to read a room. All of those characteristics are so important in mm -hmm. what we do day to day, whether me being a lawyer or in your role, different roles. Um, those things aren't necessarily just taught straight from school, but it's things that you learn over time. So by seeing someone who is seasoned in quotations, since he is an actor, um, that is something I strived for. Amazing. So just give us a two minute bio on yourself. Where did you go to school? I know you went to school in Australia. Yeah. So I uh, did my undergrad at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University, and I studied political science, where I thought that I would work for the government. Mm -hmm. I did that for a stint. I worked as a customs officer for um, a CBSA at uh, Pearson, and I knew then I would never, ever do that again. Um, then went to law school at Bond University in Australia and came back and did a little bit of personal injury. I hated that too. Um, I have always. No one wants to be an ambulance chaser. No, absolutely not. You become, you feel like a therapist more than a lawyer. Um, and then I uh, couldn't find a job. So I went back to what I know, which is hospitality. I was serving at Joey's at Sherway Gardens and I met someone starting a mortgage investment corporation. And he said, How would you feel about starting a real estate law firm? And I said, I, I would be interested in doing so. And he's like, well, do you know how? And I said, no, but I have a network that will allow for me to learn. So through that network and through working as the lawyer for that Mick, I was able to learn real estate. And so that was back in 2017. So I've been doing that, doing this since then. And I absolutely love it. So I've been on the board of directors for um, the MIC. I represent many private lenders uh, currently, um, and we do all types of real estate transactions. And for those for those of you listening who don't know what a MIC is, it's a it's a mortgage investment corporation. It's more of like a private uh, fund where if if you can't go through the regular channels, 
sometimes you can go to a MIC and they will give you a mortgage through private lending. Exactly. And it's a, it's an alternative, especially in the market that we're in today. People are looking towards MIX to help with their financing issues, whether it is um, to close on a new build that the appraisals are not coming in as high as they had hoped, um, or if it's just that they can't get approved, and you know this better than anybody, mm-hmm. um, that it's great to just have that alternative. And for a lot of times, it's just a Band-Aid solution. Some clients think that it's just there's a negative connotation to being with a private lender, but really you can accomplish a lot with the help of private funds. Sometimes you just may have bruised credit. Yeah. Um, and at the time of closing, you just you can't qualify with a Schedule A bank and you don't want to go to a Schedule B bank. Um, and so it's OK to go with a MIC for a year and then reapply uh, with with a Schedule A bank. Yeah. And what I've said to clients in the past is that. It's not a bad thing. It's you're literally just going through a graduation, a gradual process to graduate to an A lender. So this is a one year term. Maybe you need to go to B and then eventually end up with an A lender. But there's no shame in it. You just need to take those baby steps. Why do people need a real estate lawyer? You know, it's weird to me that people are so shocked that they need one. Um, can they do Can they do this on their own? Can they if they buy a house, can they? close a property on their own no they can't so um our role we have to so going back to the basics an agreement of purchase and sale is a contract so what we have to do is we take that contract and we do the due diligence to ensure that the buyers or the sellers are getting exactly what it is that they've contracted for by way of that agreement so whether that is the purchase price, whether it is a condo where it says that you're getting a locker and a uh, parking spot, we are doing the due diligence that everything that is in that agreement is what you are in fact getting. And also that you're getting free and clear title. So we have to make sure that anything that is registered on title is removed on closing. And we're making sure that mortgages are paid off. Um, other things that get more complicated would be maybe, um, a deceased person on title. So there's an estate issue. It could be a CRA lien. It could be property tax liens. It could be family responsibility office where people owe money for spousal or child support. We have to make sure that anything and everything that's there that you are not, um, agreeable to take over has to be removed from when you take ownership of the property. Now, you mentioned title. Why is it important to um, to do a title search, and uh, why do you recommend title insurance? Is title insurance mandatory? But I know it's highly recommended. A lot of people ask you, why do I, why do I have to pay for title insurance? Yeah. Uh, title insurance is mandatory for the lender. So there's two different policies. So there's a lender's title insurance policy and an owner's policy. So with the owner's policy, you're purchasing that only one time. So when you purchase the property, it is valid for the entire duration of your ownership of the property. So that, and that is the part that's actually more expensive. When you are refinancing, you do need to get a new lender's policy every time you change lenders. So if you are refinancing, hopping from one lender to another, you will have to get a new policy. And when you are buying a property, it's typically 90 to $100 for every 100000 of the purchase price. So especially first-time home buyers are like, oh, another $1,000 I have to pay for. There's a lot of value in having title insurance, and it would be very hard to find a lawyer nowadays that will close without it because of basically all of the 
transactions that were happening during COVID, a lot of fraud was actually happening as well. And so we have seen clients that were a victim of title fraud where we've actually had to make claims against the title insurance companies and they've actually paid them out. And it's been like over $3 million for the claims that we have personally seen. So $1,000 for something registered over your property for let's say 800,000, I think is there's a lot of value to having that. So just for the listeners out there who are not quite sure what title fraud is, um, why don't you explain to us what, what title fraud is and how that happens? Because yeah. it's very common. It is very common. It's actually frightening. Um, so the fraud that our clients have experienced is that essentially it starts with identity fraud. So these fraudsters are taking the identity of the homeowners and getting mortgages registered on title um, claiming to be those people. So they're, they're going to the extent of also like opening bank accounts, um, getting their driver's license or their fake, um, but doing all of those things to make it seem like they are the true owners of the property. And one of the trends that we did see was that the properties that were in fact, um, victims and the, the owners, those properties were uh, either tenanted or they were used as Airbnb. So even in those circumstances, these fraudsters had access to the property so they can even let the appraisals in. And sometimes it's just a case, too, where they know the owners and they're on vacation. Maybe, yes. they, maybe they're, uh, you know, they go down to Florida for the winter, they go south and they're gone for a couple months and they have enough time to create this identity theft and and basically sell their home for about underneath these people, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was the one big one that happened. And it was all over the news where the owners, I believe, they moved to England or something mm -hmm. for two years. So um, the tenants sold the property. And I guess they didn't have anybody wow. to like... And it wasn't even listed. There was no sign on the lawn or anything like that. But um, yeah, it happens. And it is really scary. That's that's crazy. And that... And that the title, the title search and the title insurance protects you from that happening to you. Well, if it does happen, it what they do is it's not like car insurance. There's no um, deductible or anything you have to pay. You just have to submit a claim once you've had a real loss. So mm. a real loss would be obviously something registered on title that you weren't aware of. Um, and then they would do all the investigations. What happened? What IDs were accepted by the lawyers? What accounts did the money go to? Um, were the payments made? What, um, who, like, were they seen virtually? Were they seen in person? Like, just doing all that due diligence, hiring different lawyers, hiring private investigators to just really get down to why it happened and how it happened, um, and then have that removed from title. Is it any particular group of people doing this? Is it organized crime or do you find that could be realtors sometimes involved in some of these fraudulent transactions? So from what we heard was that there was a, a, a crime ring mm. and they did about 20 plus frauds wow. in the GTA. And uh, it is very high. And what was found in one of the homes was literally a bag full of fake IDs. And so these people know exactly what it is that they're doing. Um, and they're just, you know, a lot of times these properties are mortgage free or have very, very low mortgages on title. Because, as you know, uh, even now, lenders won't go above 80 mm -hmm. percent. So they're able to get, let's say, a private mortgage 
and maybe the LTV currently is 25%, they'll top it up to the 80 or 75, whatever it is that they can get and capitalize on their efforts in that particular fraud mm-hmm. each time. So these these fraudsters, they know they pretty much know the people who are owning these homes because they kind of know what's the intricacies and what's yeah. what loan to value these homes are. And it's actually not even difficult. You can just go onto purview and exactly. And you can just really punch in an address, any address, and you can find that information. Uh, that information. Mm-hmm. What who who ha, who and what has a mortgage on the property? Yeah, and honestly, there was one situation where um, a lawyer caught it, and it was literally because when they called the client over the phone, they had an accent. And then during the signing appointment, there was no accent. Uh, so it's like, you know, those red <laughs> flags that us yes. lawyers have where like our spidey senses are, are tingling where we know that like, hey, something's going on here and uh, we need to move away from it. You report it, but really what there's not much follow up after that. While we're on the topic, is there anything, is there any advice that you can give to homeowners to protect themselves from this happening to them? Yeah, so the things that I've learned in terms of all this is just making sure that you have real control over your documentation. So with these people, yes, okay, they were tenanted properties, but the homeowners didn't redirect their mail and, you know, IDs were sent there, NOAs were sent there, uh, property tax bills. If you're not going to be there, why is your mail going there? Because now the fraudsters have direct access to originals. Um, And also the one thing that title insurers really say is have a mortgage on title. So even if you don't need one, maybe just have a HELOC, so a home equity line of credit, Mm -hmm. so that that deters them from registering anything subsequent to that because the loan to value might be high. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not using it, you're not paying for it, but just have that on title. You talked about first-time home buyers. Yes. There's, there's a lot of first-time home buyers. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that a first-time home buyer can be prepared for, even when they're looking to purchase a home, and what can they expect from from the real estate side, on the legal side, legal uh, legal costs, things like that? Yeah. So, um, they just honestly, first-time home buyers. I always like to have an initial conversation with them so that there are no surprises in terms of what the next steps are. Because really, at the end of the day, the lawyer is the last piece of the puzzle. Um, we go through what the joint tenancy versus tenants in common means. Um, we just tell them about you know what's considered default on your mortgage, um, that they need home insurance, the process of the day of closing you're never ever going to get in at like 8 30 in the morning which is what they always hope for because i understand they're super excited it's usually 4 30 yeah. 5 o'clock <laughs> yeah exactly keys are here yeah but they have their <laughs> movers yes. you know ready to go and packed for 8 a.m um that the logistics of that um you know just budgeting too so letting them know what the closing costs are going to look like um in terms of legal fees it's usually about i would say 1500 to 2000 dollars plus title insurance so again the title insurance piece being 90 to 100 dollars per every 100,000 um and the additional costs that they incur that we don't see so it could be an adjustment for property taxes for maintenance fees if they are buying a condo um land transfer tax land transfer tax for sure and, and it's a big difference if you're in toronto yes it's twice it's twice but they get twice the rebate 
So okay. <laughs> we'll give them that. Um, so with that, obviously, that's something they need to budget for. And hopefully they have a good mortgage agent like you to properly <laughs> uh, assess what that's going to look like. Yeah. Right. Because um, another surprise that a lot of our first time home buyers have is. Uh, the, the GST on the insured mortgages. So they don't account for that and then they are surprised. Um, so just having that little bit extra to make sure that in the event that something does come up, you can cover that because there are different things that happen and you might move in and you might need to repair something because it isn't to your satisfaction. Um, that arguably should be fixed by the sellers or not, but have that extra funds to make sure that you can correct it. You mentioned the HST on, on mortgage insurance. Mm -hmm. Mortgage insurance is for those homes who you have less than a 20% down payment. So CMHC or Genworth, they will amortize the insurance, they'll, th there's a cost for the insurance. It's usually around 4% mm -hmm. um, and they'll amortize it. So you're saying that the GST is not included, the client then has to come up with the GST on that insured amount exactly. at closing. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, a, a GST on 4% can be a lot to first time home buyers, yeah, right? If it's an $800,000 mortgage, right? That's $32,000 insurance, yeah. which that gets amortized throughout mm -hmm. your mortgage payment. But now you've got 13% on the 32,000. Exactly. Yeah. So that has been a shocker to some of our first time home buyers. Mm -hmm. um, so making sure that if they are in that position, just budget for that properly. Another thing that comes up a lot is the HST on say new condos. Yes. <laughs> I get this all the time. Mm -hmm. Clients closing. And I say to them, are you going to live in this? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to live in it. Really? You're, you're downsizing from a 3,000 square foot home? Well, really, I'm not going to live it, but I don't want to pay the HST. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do, what, what is your, what is your recommendation to people who are buying a property for investment purpose and they have to pay the HST on the, the new purchase? A lot of them are trying to get around it by saying as an owner occupied, I know as a lawyer, you're looking at this and going, eh, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And especially if the mortgage instructions tell me one thing versus what the client's saying. Um, if you are an investor and you are going to be renting out that property, I would just plan for it properly. So I had uh, an investor, he purchased a new build and basically to submit the rebate application for that $24,000 back, you need to have obviously all of your legal paperwork aligned, which we can help with, but you also need a uh, lease agreement that is valid for at least a year to submit along with your application for the rebate and have that ready to go as soon as possible. So if you have all those, you, your ducks in a row, you can submit that earlier rather than later and then have you know, the ministry assess it and refund you earlier rather than later. So it's um, something that you just need to budget for as an investor. Yeah. So, so as an investor, you're getting the HST back or you're paying the HST? So you're paying 24,000 and then you would be rebated the 24,000 once you submit the application. As long as you're an investor, yes, you're gonna rent it. But if you're if you're occupying it, you 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 don't, you don't get, pay any HST. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. But keep in mind with new builds, there are all of those nominal fees that they charge. So that's uh, development charges for a tree for hooking up. I don't know, some meter mm -hmm. um, paving, literally everything and anything. There are uh, fees associated with that. So that's actually a good point to bring up with uh, first time home buyers of new builds. It's really important to have that agreement reviewed by a lawyer so that you know what those nominal charges or are going to end up with and what like, let's say, a development levy actually means and ensuring that that's capped. And I, I tell all my clients, if if you are buying, if you're a first time buyer or if you, even if you're not a first time buyer, if you're buying a pre-construction and you get the agreement of purchase and sale. Don't try reading this yourself. No. Get a lawyer, have them review it. It may cost you three or 400 bucks. Mm -hmm. It is so worth it because some of these developers, they hide charges in yeah. there. And when you come time to closing, you say, well, I, I didn't know about this. And you say, hey, go back to section this, subsection yep. that, and take a look. It's there. You signed it. I had a client that didn't want to uh, do it. And I said, I had a client said, listen, Go see your lawyer, just have them review it. Mm -hmm. And the lawyer came back with a, like a list of things that they said that she does not like. And they went back to the developer and says, "Well, how do you know the developer, the, the developer is going to uh, make these changes?" And I said, "Do you know why my wife married me? Because I asked." <laughs> All you got to do is it's ask. True. A if lot you of times don't they ask, don't. nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And they literally went back to the developer, and I think it was like eight, eight sections that the lawyer didn't like and they allowed six of them yeah so you you just got to ask but do your due diligence have a lawyer look it over and just make sure that because at the end of the day the developer does not have your best interest no. your lawyer has a due diligence and a fiduciary duty to act for you and act in your best interest exactly so that's a really good point yeah um we had a client that um he's in occupancy and he's been in occupancy since 2022 and he's just like well what am I supposed to do well you never had your original agreement reviewed so you're kind of stuck and that's and that's also reality of new builds is that you have to just concede to whatever the builder says and it is a tough reality um but it is the reality and especially, but right now, because of how the market is, they have been a little bit more lenient in terms of um, clients who have difficulty with closing because appraisals are coming in lower mm -hmm. than what they've purchased. Um, I've, we've seen vendor take backs. Um, we've seen abatements, so reductions in purchase price. Um, we've seen extensions with no fees. Um, so it's a very different time when you know, back in 2022, if you needed extension, they would charge you $2,500 a day because they knew that you could get financing and they didn't believe anybody. But right now, because of what the market is like, they are conceding to the fact that the reality is that your buyers need help. And do you really just want all these properties and not have anyone living in them? Yeah, absolutely. Because the interest rates have gone up so high, the stress test is no longer at 5.25. Yeah. The stress test is 200 basis points higher than the posted five-year rate or the lower or the higher of. So if, even if you got a variable rate, if I got you, which I can't even, if you're, if you're an insured, if you got an insured mortgage, 
I'm I could probably get you 90 points below prime, but that still puts you at 6.3. You got to qualify at 8.3. Yeah. And a lot of these people back when they bought these properties had no problem qualifying. Now they can't qualify. So that's a really good point. Um, I'm also seeing too, um, again, you talked about the vendor take backs. Talk about the occupancy because I get, I get clients calling me and going, how come I got to pay rent? Yeah. <laughs> when, when do I get my mortgage? And I said, just because you got occupancy doesn't mean you get a mortgage. You get a mortgage when the condo gets registered. Exactly. Well, when's that going to happen? We don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And like you said, you've you've had a client sitting in occupancy and he's paying rent to the builder and it's not even going toward his mortgage. Yeah. So pe people need to be aware of that, that in occupancy, you don't get a mortgage. You're paying rent. Exactly. So that time period is before, obviously, registration, like yeah. you mentioned. Um, but the city and the land registry doesn't allow for that to happen until X amount is complete. So if builders aren't selling, they don't have funds to then complete, let's say, the upper levels of a building. Then the people on the lower levels who unfortunately get occupancy first have to wait until completion of, let's say, 80 percent, 90 percent of the building. And I have one client. She purchased a unit which was on, I think, the eighth floor and her occupancy fees were close to ten thousand oh dollars a month. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> For like <laughs> 1,100 square feet. Oh, my God. Um, so, and it is a 46-story building. So it's going to be a very long time for her to be registered and get a mortgage. So basically freebies in terms of just paying towards occupancy with nothing to show for, show for that. And that's, you know, that brings a really good point up. Um, anytime I buy a pre-construction, I'm always looking for the top, within the top mm -hmm. few floors. Because A, you pay a premium. It's usually it's usually around a thousand bucks. The unit goes up a thousand to two thousand dollars per floor. However, you're getting better views of the city. Yep. But not just that. I know that when I gotta take the occupancy, it's far after the time the guy on the second, third, and fourth floor. I mean, I bought I bought uh, some pre-construction in Hamilton. It's twenty, sorry, it's thirty stories. I'm on the 29th floor. Okay. So. And you might go straight to final closing and not yeah, have to pay any occupancy. Exactly. Right. So there's the definitely the benefit of waiting for that. So if yeah, if you're if you're looking at pre-construction, guys, yeah. um, take a look at it. Might cost you a little bit extra. Number number one. Um, you're going to get a premium for your unit, but number two, the rent that you're going to have to pay the builder, the, the, the length of time is going to be far less than if you're looking at just being, let me just pick up a unit that's the cheapest. I'm on the second or the third floor. You're going to end up paying more in the long run because you're paying rent to a builder. And like you said, this, your client had an 1100 square foot floor paying 10 grand yeah. a month, Yeah, a month, a month. Right. Yeah. And, and she could be there two years She could be before they register. That's, that's $240,000. She's been very creative. <laughs> she actually bought two units. Oh my and But what she's done is she's spoken to the builder to convert those two units to penthouse. So now she has essentially pushed her occupancy. So she didn't take those lower units. Mm. But if she did, then she would be stuck with that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it and could end luckily, up costing you more in the long run. Yeah, we don't know. But this is a, a, like she's weighed everything up and she thinks that this is the, the right call. Um, but yeah, those numbers are scary. Just a little hidden gem for you guys that, that are listening to think about buying pre-construction. Um, Ontario vacant tax. Yes. The government put in a vacant tax. Yes. So it applies to the city of Toronto as well as Ottawa. Um, and it's essentially what they're requiring is that anyone who owns property in Toronto or Ottawa have to submit a declaration for the, the year stating what category does the property fall into? So either um, owner-occupied, tenanted. Um, there are exceptions to whether or not the tax applies, which would be um, if the homeowner was in the hospital, if the homeowner passed away, um, if the property was undergoing major construction. So those circumstances would um, be exempt from the tax. So if you don't submit that declaration, they'll charge you $250. But what's worse is that they will automatically declare the property as vacant. And if the property is vacant, you are then charged a 1% um, tax on the impact value of the property. And if you don't pay that tax, they will then um, forward the tax onto your property taxes. And then if you don't pay it there, you it will then form a lien over mm. your property. Mm. And then if it's a lien, going back to our earlier conversation, and you refinance or you sell, your lawyer is then going to make sure that that's paid out basically the the government forcing you to pay for this tax well you know there's there's a lot of foreigners mm -hmm. that are just looking to get money out of you know wherever wherever i mean uh, you, you see a lot of people like in china they just want to get their money out and they're looking in in, in canon saying hey i can i can use real estate as my piggy bank i'm just going to buy a house and i'm just going to leave it there why why did the government put this vacant tax in because they think that it's going to stop people from having vacant homes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shortage of homes. Yeah, I get exactly. It. Yeah. So that is their um, so-called way of helping us with the shortage of homes. Which to me, I don't. I don't think it, it's working. But it's it's an effort, I guess. It's it's <laughs> it's it's. I'm amazed at how governments come up with these ideas and they don't think them through. Yeah. And they think that it's just, it's going to curb and help the situation. The only thing that's going to help the situation is get rid of the red tape, mm -hmm. um, allow more um, developers access to building properties and get things done faster because there's just, there's too much bureaucracy, too much red tape to that's, that's stopping these developers from getting properties off the ground. Yeah. And they implemented it. And within like, I think it was, three months, I feel like there was four different forms of what the declaration was supposed to look like, where I submitted it for my own condo downtown, and it needed all of the information of my tenants, while, you know, somebody I know had to submit it, and there was no need for any of that information. So there's so just like the usual, you know, red tape, there's inconsistencies there. And now the problem is there's a lot of people that are that didn't do it but genuinely just forgot to do it mm -hmm. and having to remove that tax even though they can prove that they did in fact live there is 
becoming such a difficult process and they're almost having to pay it and then ask for a refund later so that they can proceed with refinancing. But that's just in the city of Toronto. That's but does in that Ottawa doesn't include as well. in Ottawa. So like in Mississauga, no. Vine, there's there is no you can you could leave it vacant and there are no extra taxes apply. Okay, guys, that's where you got to buy your homes in. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Stop buying in Toronto yeah. if you're not going to live in it. Did you hear about the new tax in Toronto coming in January for homes over $3 million? Oh, there's an additional. There's Olivia. another one. There's yes. another one. Yeah. I just had a client sell um, their condo. It was like $3.9 just to try to beat it. So the closing is in the next couple days. But yeah, more tax to come. And you know where they're going? They're going up north. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. They're, sell they're selling their Rosedale property for mm -hmm. five million, and they're going up north because now you can jump on a Porter jet and you can fly right into Muskoka. Mm -hmm. I know because because my best friend is up in Muskoka building and he cannot keep up with the demand. He's finding people coming in with cash wow. saying they're buying a lot, and they're saying build me a home for two and a half million, and then they're banking two and a half million, mm -hmm. and and they'll say you know what. What one thing that COVID taught us is we don't have to be in the office. Yeah. I could work remotely and I don't need to go to my office downtown. I could go in twice a week, once a week if I have to. So I'm going to live and I'm going to work out of my beautiful Muskoka home. And Great I'm gonna views. Put, yeah. Right. <laughs> so thank you, Olivia Chow, for, for pushing me to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. What can someone do to protect themselves? Because let's just hypothetically say you do have that person who is a foreigner who took money out of, out of a country and they bought property here and now they want to sell the home. I know that there is um, the foreigner tax rule. Like if, if it's a foreign home, how, what can someone do to protect themselves? Because if there is tax owing and you don't find out that, it's a foreigner who owns the home, you're responsible for the tax to CRA if there's a capital gains. Mm -hmm. What can people do to protect themselves if they have suspicion that it's not a resident or a citizen, a Canadian citizen who owns that home? So tell your lawyer right away because we need, so with every sale that we do or purchase, we make the other side sign off on statutory declarations stating that they are residents of Canada. So no holdbacks or taxes apply. Um, basically to confirm further that the other lawyer has done their due diligence that they don't have to, you know, hold back any funds. So in those cases, it does become complicated because the timelines are very, very short where um, we would hold back 25% and they would have to get their certificate of uh, completion within 30 days. And we know what the CRA is like. Mm -hmm. It never, ever, ever happens in 30 days. Um, and then it has to be remitted to the CRA. And then trying to get money back from the CRA proves to be even more difficult. No. <laughs> so um, honestly, if you have an inkling, tell your lawyer right away and the conversations will start happening with the other side to determine whether or not it actually applies. What, what would your advice be to someone who's looking to get into real estate as an investor and holding these properties either in their name or should they create a real estate whole co and put these properties there? So, of course, it's case by case. Um, it's really depends on what your goals are. Are you looking to just have one, one investment property? Are you looking to have multiple? 
in the event that you do want multiple, I would definitely suggest having a hold co so that you can protect your personal assets from anything that happens with, with the properties within, uh, the hold co. So, um, you know, with that, you're just pretty much protecting yourself so that everything you hold personally will not be subject to any liability that may arise from the other properties. And I think another good reason too, and I think one of the biggest thing, what I always suggest clients, if you're going to, if you're going to become an active real estate investor, create yourself a whole code, the point you made is, is a very important one is protecting your personal assets from it, but also too on, on a revenue standpoint, if, if you're making $200,000 a year and now you've got one or two or several rental properties and these properties are spitting off 50 to a hundred thousand bucks and you don't have them in a whole code, that's going in your personal name. Mm-hmm. That means every dollar, additional dollar above 220,000 is getting taxed at 54%. So while you're owning these properties, you're giving the lion's share to the government where if you have the revenue going into a whole co, it's going to get taxed at like 15%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the tax implications for sure yeah, are a revenue. huge benefit. Yeah, exactly. Um, how do you, how do you assist real estate investors? Um, do you help them with setting up property management? Do you set, do you help set them up with helping to understand their liabilities when it comes to becoming a real estate investor? Yeah. So we work with different real estate investors, whether it is, um, individuals who are purchasing property and having tenants versus private lenders who are lending out funds. So with, um, both, obviously, we always try to assess how they're doing it. Is it through a company or is it through them personally? Um, and then from there, determining what liability and risk actually applies in the circumstances. So for private lenders, I like to have the conversation with them like upfront in terms of what security they have over the property in the event that they have d- chosen to lend, um, what we do to secure their funds, registering, getting title insurance, doing all that, um, and understanding there are circumstances like where we are now where the exit strategy may change in the one-year term that you have agreed to. And in some cases, they are for- forced to renew um, because there's not enough equity and there's nobody else that's willing to take over the deal. Um So understanding after that one year term, what were you going to do with your money? Did you need it to, I don't know, maybe your your child is starting school and you just wanted to park it somewhere for a year so that you can make 11, 12, 13 percent? Or is it just extra funds for your retirement and, you know, you're 40 years old, so it can keep working itself for a lot of for 20 years, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, But understanding the different possibilities in the end and understanding in the worst case scenario, although it doesn't happen all too often, what would happen and what that process would look like. And then for our real estate investors who are purchasing property and, and, you know, getting tenants, we tell them, you know, make sure everything is in writing. If you don't want to do all of the work in terms of the day to day of managing the tenant, Look for a property manager to do that for you, to collect the funds for you, to make sure that whatever needs to be fixed is fixed and you don't have to deal with your tenant complaining that the water's not hot enough. Um, But do those things. And 
if you when you are looking for a tenant, it's really important to make sure that you are doing the due diligence on the tenant and not just taking anybody off the street because that's, uh, that's a big issue today. You got prof- yeah. you got professional, professional tenants. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone who doesn't know what a professional tenant is, they come in, they give you first and last month rent and that's all you ever see. Yeah. What is your advice on on these tenants? You get a tenant in there and they just stop paying rent because Ontario has rent control mm-hmm. and you can't, it's very, very difficult to get them out. How do you help your clients if they get a professional tenant in there? Honestly, depending on the circumstance, it always, it usually goes down to cash for keys. Mm-hmm. If you really need them to get out, you need to pay them X amount of whatever they can agree to, to get them out. While of course, you know, deciding what makes sense for you in terms of what you're going to pay them and what you can get from, let's say, a future tenant or if you're going to sell. Because right now the landlord tenant board is backed up and they say it's about 10 months of a delay, which I think is too short. I think it's probably longer than that realistically. So cash for keys, if you really need them out, is unfortunately the easiest, quickest way to get them out. And it's interesting how these politicians like, Number one, Jagmeet Singh is complaining about these high rents. You need to understand something. If if you don't like high rents for uh, these tenants, why don't you start helping out the landlords more mm-hmm. and giving them more power to evict the, evict the tenant when they don't pay rent? Yeah. Right? Because the way the system runs, it gives the tenants more rights. And landlords you know what, sometimes I'm going to say, fuck it. I'm going to leave my property empty because I don't want to put somebody in there. Give me, give me the 1%. It's less headache mm-hmm. than to have to have someone in there destroy my place yep. and then go through all the hassle to get them out. And I got to wait 10 months to a year before I can actually get them out. Meantime, they've destroyed my place. And you're paying legal fees on top of that. Yeah. Um, and it's just, honestly, the system's it's broken. It is. And Also with that, we've had so many sales, like purchases on our side, where the tenants won't leave. So then those transactions don't close at all. And we have to mutual lease, have a sign of mutual lease where our client, it's to to the advantage of our clients because um, they purchased when purchase prices were higher. But obviously to the detriment of the seller who's dealing with the tenant, because now if they list after they go through, let's say the 10 month, uh, 10 months uh, tenant board, then they're going to get less. It's, it's, it's such a broken system and it's really sad. And I got a lot of clients that are asking me, John, can you find me something in Alberta? Mm. Because Alberta has no rent control. Okay. Right. Or yeah. find me something in the States. I yeah. just, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a landlord in Ontario. Yeah. It's, it's not worth it. No. You know, I find, I find a nice piece of property, even with these mortgage rates, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not going to cover my rent, and then and then if I get a tenant who doesn't want to pay, I had a client, especially during during COVID, I had a lot of clients coming to me and asking to refi their home because they saw the rates were so low. I've got equity in my mm-hmm. home. Let me go and and I want to expand and you know the dream, everybody's dream. I want to be uh, this real estate mogul. I want to own lots of real estate. Um, and so, you know, they qualified and they, they got money out and they were able to secure themselves another rental property. At that time, the rates were low. I have a client who's got a few properties 
And the one that she did get during COVID because the interest rate was low, she was charging the client, I think it was just over $4,000 a month. She wasn't really making money, but she was covering her mortgage. Okay. Now her mortgage is 7,500 a month and that tenant stopped paying. Oh no. And she's like, how do I get them out? Mm-hmm. I said, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. they stop, you have to apply to the landlord tenant board. Um, that favors a tenant. That to favors start. the tenant, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and it's going to take you nine months to a year before you get them out. In the meantime, uh, it's costing you seventy five hundred bucks a month. You're, it's going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars that year. So mm-hmm. if I were you, it's exactly what you said. Here's twenty five grand. Here's thirty grand. Give me your keys. Yeah. Get out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll take it. Sometimes. And sometimes they don't because they got no place to go. Yeah. Do you think that there should be some sort of registry board for uh, landlords to report uh, professional tenants, like people that just don't pay? Yeah, that would be great. So you can do like a quick search yeah. of so-and-so's name. Do they pop up or do they not? Yeah. Because there's literally no protection for landlords in terms of making... The, of course, you could do your due diligence, but they're professionals, like the professional fraudsters that are you know, putting mortgages on everyone's homes, where... If we had something similar to that, we could, you know, at least avoid that challenge of having that particular person in our properties. I, I think that's a good idea. We should start doing something. Let's do it. We should, we should, we should create an app that, okay. that that landlords can can report the name of the person yeah. who just doesn't pay their rent. And, mm-hmm. and I think it would protect a lot of other people who receive applications from these people. Yeah. They look good on paper, but really... They're just going to be a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they don't pay. Mm-hmm. I get tons of questions when I talk real estate um, asking me, should I put my property into a trust? <laughs> and I get and people, go, should, I, should I put, should I put my home? Should I put my principal residence in my house? Cause they watch some show in, <laughs> in the U S yeah. it's like, no, not your principal residence. It's tax free. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There's no capital gains. Um, in the U.S., that's not the case. So the, the the structures in the U.S. are far different. But let's talk about trusts in Canada. Um, what is your suggestion or what is your comment when people want to put their principal residence or if they want to put their investment properties into a trust because they want to avoid paying any type of a capital gains or a tax bill? Because I say, listen, you're not going to get away from CRA. They're going to no. get their pound of flesh at some point. Mm-hmm. All you could do is prolong it. Yes. What's what's your thoughts about using trust to put real estate into? So obviously, again, I know always I keep saying it case by case basis in mm-hmm. terms of whether or not it makes sense for the client. And obviously there are different kinds of trust. There's family trust as well. And um, it's, In the reality of real estate, it's very, very rare. Almost, I don't think I've ever seen a property actually being held in like in trust as the property owner. It might be a trustee on title for that particular property, but they'll have whatever contracts outside of what was registered to determine who is the true owner of the property. So the benefits of that, is something to obviously assess with your accountant. But the reality is, is that it doesn't always happen because it's not as beneficial as like you mentioned in the States. Yeah. And then we have that 21 year deemed disposition rule. Yeah. Right. So you could, you could, you could put uh, 
some real estate in there. However, from the day that, well, number one, you're going to have a tax bill. If, if you own a property and you transfer into trust, you're transferring ownership, which could trigger a, a capital gain at that time of, of transfer B transfer. It could trigger a land, land transfer, transfer tax, tax yep. because you're changing actual ownership. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't dispose of that property in 21 years, you are going to get another tax bill regardless if you sold it or not mm -hmm. because you say it's, it's the deemed disposition rule yeah. and they're going to assess it from the time you transferred it in and you could receive another tax bill, which is going to be unfavorable to you and then go, what the fuck did I just do? Why did I even bother doing this? Yeah. Right. And you know what? Here's my advice to a lot of people. If you're so concerned about uh, paying a tax bill because you, maybe you want to leave it to kids. My advice is put your kids on as joint tenant. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if something were to happen to you, the ownership transfers to your child. By right of survivorship. Exactly. Right? And it also avoids probate. Exactly. Yeah. So that makes the most sense in those circumstances because, but keep in mind, if you are adding your child to title, then you may lose their first time home buyer's rebate. Mm. But really, if you're weighing up That's how much point. tax they would be paying versus the $4,000 rebate, yeah. it's probably more favorable to lose out on that $4,000. That's a really good point. You yeah. Made. Here's a question. If you weren't practicing law, what would you be doing? Because you, you're, you're kind of going toward the nursing side, weren't you? Medical? My mom is a nurse. I'm Filipino. <laughs> so, you know, I was forced that way. Um, honestly, I've always been an entrepreneur yeah. of some sort. And uh, I'm actually myself, my husband, my sister and my brother-in-law were opening a new business. So I think I would just be in some sort of entrepreneur world, starting up new businesses and learning about business and seeing what I can do. Not anything conventional. I was never meant to be like a nine to fiver, mm. um, never meant to work for the government um, and never meant to really have a boss. So I think it would just be something that would be would allow me to have whatever lifestyle that I choose and have uh, the day to day that I want. Your husband, Harm, yeah. you guys, he works He works with you. You guys work together. What's it like <laughs> working with your husband, seeing him at the office all day, and then going home and taking care of your little one and yeah. being with him all day? What's that like? It's funny. Everybody asks me this. Um, it's actually really good. Yeah. We really, we compliment each other in terms of our skill set, our characteristics, our qualities, where... He would never be here in this seat talking to you. He would talk to you. Obviously, he loves yeah. you, John. Um, but he would not be somebody that's recorded. Um, and he has the financial expertise that is really necessary for real estate and private lending. So he's able to just be that part of the business mm -hmm. where we're making sure that, you know, everything lines up in terms of not just the revenue of the company, but also in the day-to-day -day of our accounting for our clients to make sure that everything aligns. Um, navigating through with private lenders, 
different fees that might apply per day interest, all of those things we have to calculate on a regular basis. And honestly, it's nice to work with someone that you know is not going to screw you yeah. because I've had bad business partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and the business, Vantage Law as a whole, is like almost family run. Uh, my brother-in-law is on the team, my sister-in-law, one of my best friends. So um, having that loyalty around you, whether it's my husband or somebody else, it's really important to make sure that um, everything there's nothing funny happening. Everything is on the up and up and everyone has the best interest of the business as a whole. And and allows you and you and your husband and your little one to just, you know, if you want to take off for a week, mm-hmm. go someplace, you know that the business is being run by family, competent people, that it's it's not going to be there's no funny business is going to be going on with the exactly exactly so it's nice to have the eyes there um but it's good some people are like how do you guys always talk about work it kind of just happens um but it's we love our job so yeah. what's this is not a bad thing to talk about it when we're at home you know i work i don't say i don't work with my wife but mm-hmm. you know my office is in my home and and i do it that way because i find i spend a lot of time in my office i mean i'm in there Starting at, I'm up at five. Yeah. I'm in my office by five fifteen with my coffee. I'm going through emails, and then I'm in there all day unless I'm out seeing clients. And then there's times where I don't leave my office till like eight o'clock at night. Where if I'm actually, if I have to drive to an office, I'm not going to get there probably till eight or nine. Yeah. And then I'm going to probably leave at five or six to go home. I find I get more more work done when I'm at home. But then my wife, we have we have a spa. Yes. And yes. So, so she's, you know, she's upstairs in her spa. So I see my wife all day. So um, it's actually really cool because, you know, I got my office door closed. She's doing her thing. I'm doing my thing. She doesn't really bother me unless she's coming and goes, you hungry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you making me? You want some pasta? Okay. <laughs> make me I'll some pasta. <laughs> but, but she's really good at making sure that yeah. I eat because I'm always so focused on my work. So when you guys are out, you guys you guys really don't see much of each no. other because you're doing your thing and he's doing his thing, right? Yeah. It's a really, it's a good, it's a good, uh, I call it a really good synergy that's mm-hmm. going on. And yeah. collaboration is there when necessary, but we are, we also do have our space. Yeah. 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 So it's cool. good. How can people find you that are looking to either purchase their home? They're looking to sell their home. They need some legal advice. They want someone to look over their uh, condo papers. How can someone find you? So we're really active on um, Instagram. So they can follow us at Vantage Law underscore. Um, our website is www.vantage-law.ca. Um, you could contact our office anytime. Amazing. Alessandra, yeah. this has been really great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so there much. There was a lot of information. I hope everybody I <laughs> got some some good tips out there. If you're looking to follow us, you can follow us on Spotify under Wealth Easy E-A-Z-Y. We are on YouTube under John Durbano, Instagram, TikTok. We're very active. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Take care of yourself and take care of your wealth.